Hello and welcome to another episode of 15-Minute Devotional. This is an online video and podcast series for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. And for any viewers on Facebook or YouTube or listeners to Melvin Gaines' Faith Channel, we appreciate you being here today. My name is Melvin Gaines. Uh, we encourage viewers and listeners to get more into God's Word and we stay in it with consistency by learning and growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, in this particular program, we're going to be covering the daily reading for Wednesday, July the 19th, 2023. Now, our church normally encourages the two-year Bible plan, and that's what the date given or provided is for the two-year plan. And that allows for the reader to cover the Bible over a two-year period. In our particular devotional here, our program presents the passages for the day, and then we make some verbal notes about the content as we go. But when you do your two-year Bible reading plan, it would normally cover about a seven to ten minute period of time of reading the Bible, followed by a five to eight minute period of time of prayer and reflection upon what you've read. And that routine takes about 15 minutes a day. That's why we call this program 15-minute devotional. We encourage all participants to follow this pattern as they develop the best habits for reading, studying, and meditating on God's Word. Of course, you can read more than 10 minutes if you desire, but for those who have time constraints, as we always refer to uh, sometimes our schedules, they just get very busy, a 15-minute devotional is going to establish very good habits every day. So let's go ahead and get started with today's reading. Uh, again, for Wednesday, July 19th, 2023, we're going to be covering uh, the books of Joshua, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 24, Luke, chapter 13, verses 22 to 35, Psalm 79, verses 9, 9 through 13, and Proverbs 19, verses 18 and 19. So that's where we're going to be reading today. So let's go ahead and turn our Bibles and electronic devices to Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. And as we do that and reflect upon the passage we're going to read, it's always a good idea to even pray before we get started. Amen. So let's go ahead and do that right now. Father, thank you for this time that you've given to us to study your word. And now we just ask the Spirit to help us to gain wisdom and knowledge through the reading. Uh, and the time that we spend in the Word, Lord, is always valuable time. And we appreciate your companionship, your fellowship with us as we seek you and gain more information from you as we go. Information that will help us to grow and, and learn and do much more within the body of Christ. We thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 2. That's the first part of Joshua Joshua chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 24. And this particular uh, reading uh, is where we are actually going to have our encounter here with uh, Rahab and look at the text regarding Rahab. Very important person, uh, honestly, in the, the history uh, of uh, the Bible and as far as faith is concerned. So let's take a look at it. Starting in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Reading from the New Living Translation. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. 
So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Verse 4, Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Verse 6, actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. Verse 9, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what, the, what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. Verse 14, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this, the land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your, own, on your way. Verse 17, before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have give, taken, only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. Verse 19, if they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our, foul, our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. Verse 21, I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. Verse 24, The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Okay, that's Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. And to be quite frank, there's a lot of content here to cover in a very short period of time. 
So I'll try to hit the bullet points that jump out at me when I look at this particular passage. First of all, the main character in this section here is Rahab. We have Rahab as the main character, the main focus. Um, we have the gentlemen who come to spy on the land, as mentioned in, in Joshua uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And they're spying on the land because they already know that the Lord is giving them this land. But now they're not spying just to try to assess the enemy. They're spying specifically to determine entry points, where to go into the city, where to go to attack the city, because they already recognize that God has given it to them. But now they have to have a strategy as far as how they're going to go about that. So that's why the two spies were sent. This is in no way the same thing as when uh, the spies were sent into the land to spy and they came back and gave a report saying that we can't take this land because of all the giants and all the people there. Uh, the fortified city that was involved uh, in that previous passage. Um, and that is when they were being disobedient to the Lord. This is not the same thing at all. So I want to make sure that's very clear. Then we get to Rahab. Of course, Rahab uh, is a prostitute. The men set out and stayed there. Now, if you really want to get right down to it, we, we have to look at some very important things here about when we see certain characters emerge in Scripture and certain things happen, and in this particular instance, Rahab, we know that she is a harlot. We know that she is a, uh, not a very nice person when we consider uh, her morality. Uh, the morality issue comes into play. However, uh, God uh, selected her to be the focal point in this passage, especially in taking on those men uh, who were the spies and hiding, hiding them in her own, on her own property. And what we have to look at here is that she is mentioned and referenced as one of those individuals in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, as far as being one of great faith. And, and we have to recognize that this is probably an opportunity or a moment when Rahab is slowly uh, now being converted into a person who is a follower of the, the Lord um, and follower of God and, and trying to turn her life around because... It was something put in her heart that the Holy Spirit had to do to recognize what was taking place. And so while she may not have been completely converted over, she did act in a manner that showed that she was a woman of faith or having at least a, that mustard seed of faith, right, that's necessary to get the whole conversation going about how faith, God responds to those people who have faith. And it doesn't matter where you're coming from or where you're going, but that faith is the catalyst to have God truly look to you and focus on you as a person and really start changing your heart, changing your mind, changing the way you see things or do things in life. Let's face it, it was faith that we all had to exhibit and experience when we acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord in our lives. It started with what? Faith, an act of faith. Now, we also need to recognize, too, that Rahab is in the genealogy of, of Christ. How about that? The fact that we see that this is being mentioned and referenced also uh, in the New Testament, when we look at the genealogy, um, she indeed is the one who is in the genealogy of Christ because it was the, the thing that got her in that position and put her in that position was faith. It didn't matter about her past. It didn't matter about... Uh, what she had been doing. God recognized her and acknowledges her uh, as one who exhibited faith at a very, very critical time 
uh, in the history of uh, the people, the Israelite people. And so we're going to see that she's obviously a very special woman. In much the same way as the Samaritan woman was a very special woman uh, in the life of Jesus when we look at the gospel account of the Samaritan woman who come and Jesus uh, at the well. And we find that she is a remarkable woman because of what? Faith. Believing uh, that Jesus was the person who he said he was. And, and then conveying that information to everyone who would listen to her in her own town. And she was also a woman who didn't have a great reputation. But isn't it funny how God can use those individuals, those people who are very unusual, uh, but because they have faith, they can move mountains and they can show themselves to be um, special uh, before God because they believe in who God is and they believe in what he has said and what, and what he proposes to do. Rahab is the same person like that. She's a citizen of Jericho. She opened her home to the spies. And we're getting down to the question about how when someone had inquired, the king had inquired about looking for the spies and where they could be found, we might have an argument here about, well, Rahab just told a flat-out lie about where those men were and what, what happened to them. So let's not explain away uh, the situation. Let's look at it for what it truly is, and we have to recognize that. Um, and this is going to apply to all of us as well, too. We understand and we know that we're supposed to be obedient to the authorities, uh, no matter where we are, where we live, right? But what about in those situations when it comes down to your authorities now asking you to just do something that is outside of the will of God or outside of what uh, he would have you to do uh, as far as, um, you know, would you have to be disobedient to comply with the Lord? Um, and the answer is, yes, you should. You need to remember that your ultimate authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if your authorities, and you understand, and here's what's happening here, the ones who are already out of favor with God, this, these people are already going to be... Um, the Lord is already giving the city over to the Israelites if they just go in and get it. Um, and Rahab knows this. She knows this because she has talked about and described all the things that took place about what the Israelites did in their victories when they left the land of Egypt, the things that did occur. And she recognizes that these people are the ones who are destined to come in. So she is making a deal right then and there to make sure that she and her families are taken care of because they're deathly afraid of what the Israelites can do. And now she's trying to, um, she wants to believe, of course, that those spies are there for the reason that it's for the good of her and her family if she complies with them and cooperates with them. And so I'm going to leave you to uh, look at the rest of the study, but that essentially is what is encompassed here in this passage and you just look forward to continuing in Joshua um, uh, chapter 3 and looking at the account afterward about the people coming in and taking the city. But we know that Rahab, just based upon what we have in Scripture, she was spared, her family was spared. And we would have to believe that because of these actions that took place, that Rahab was one of those uh, people of great faith that is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, so we'll leave it there, but I, I would ask that you pray and reflect upon this passage and look at the things that Rahab says and how, what she describes and recognizing that she knew exactly what was taking place at that time. 
and perhaps I'll just go as far as saying it even the spirit made her aware of these things uh, so that she could articulate them very clearly and effectively to the two gentlemen who came in as spies uh, in the land she knew that the demise of the city was inevitable she knew that God was the one who was doing it she recognized all those things and made uh, those decisions that she did uh, for the purpose of preserving her life sparing her life uh, she must have realized that there's much more to life than the way things were going at that point in her life and and prayerfully that is how she became one of those people who had faith um, it's implied that because they had faith they, it was credited to them uh, as being righteous just as we said say about Abraham in Genesis it was the faith where they were made righteous before God and that's exactly what I believe is taking place here okay let's move to Luke chapter 13 and by the way you're always welcome to make comments and refer to uh, things that are mentioned here because we do this very quickly for this program uh, purposes of this program but you take that time and spend the time in the word to go and do some more digging uh, to try to find some solutions as well too if you have any questions Luke chapter 13 let's go to verse 22 we're reading verses 22 through 35 again another very pivotal time in the New Testament about Jesus uh, making a declaration about how hard it is to become uh, a follower of Jesus if you have your interests divided in other places uh, Luke chapter 13 verse 22 let's start there please Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he went always pressing on toward Jerusalem someone asked him Lord will only a few be saved he replied work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom for many will try to enter but will fail when the master of the house has locked the door it will be too late you will stand outside knocking and pleading Lord open the door for us but he will reply I don't know you or where you come from then you will say but we ate and drank with you and taught in our streets and he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. Verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be least important then. Then verse 31, at that time some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day I must proceed on my way, for it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned, and you will never see me again until you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Again, a very rich section of passage. Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 35. So, real quick, a couple of points here going back to the top of uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 22. And the question was asked of him uh, in verse 23, Lord, will only a few be saved? And the response he gives is not a direct response. It's an indirect response. It's still a response. But he comes out to say the following. Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter but will fail. Well, now, that's a that's a statement that you, you need to take time to look at this more closely. And he follows with the description as to what people, I think, perceive that they can do. Uh, when it comes to a relationship with God and what actually occurs as a result of the life that they're living. So, and by the way, we can't work uh, to get into God's kingdom. We are there because we believe in Jesus Christ as his Lord, as Lord and Savior of our lives. It's grace that we have. The grace that he extends to us is sufficient. He gives us this grace. So, we want to make sure that we understand that what he is doing here is he's speaking in, in essentially a parable and letting people know that there are people who are going to perceive that they have this uh, entry point or place where they can be in heaven. And he's giving the example of the master of the house locking the door um, before it's too and when it is, in fact, too late for them to get in and they're going to be making an appeal. And that brought to mind this whole description of what was taking place by looking at the lives of the rich man and Lazarus that he mentions also in, in the book of Luke and how we are conscious even after death because of what's taking place, where we know where we are, we know what we see, we know what's going on, we know that we uh, don't have access to um, this place, uh, heaven, because of the fact that there is a great divide. There's, so it's a very conscious thing that we experience. And so the fact that Jesus is mentioning about, in verse 27, he's going to reply, I tell you, don't, I don't know who you are or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. And that's the point of this. You might believe that you have access to the Lord Jesus Christ, but if you're living a life that is contrary to his will, outside of his will, that you're not acknowledging him as Lord of your life, and you're flat out just not doing what's right. You're in an evil place. You're living in evil, with evil, in an evil place. You might think you have something, but you don't have anything. You don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember in verse 30, he says, And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be least important then. The rich man and Lazarus, a rich man who was very important in his lifetime when he lived on earth. And Lazarus, the, the poorest of the poor, a beggar, he became most important after he died. The rich man became least important and wound up in torment. So we need to understand, too, that our perceptions of life, we need to be make sure, making sure that we indeed are tuned, tuned in to what the Lord would have us to do, that what the Lord would want us to do in our lives and make sure that we're tuned in, that we are not in any way, shape, or form um, living in such a manner that is outside of God's will, that we truly do indeed serve him. It's not about losing our salvation, but it is about living in such a manner where 
You have to understand there are some people who really believe they know God and have a relationship with God, and they never did truly accept or acknowledge Jesus as Lord. So we we can't make that distinction in life today. I've had several discussions with uh, different people uh, about how Christians, some who say that they are Christians, are not Christians at all. And even though they might be in our churches, they may not. They are not Christians at all because God has said so. There is a heart issue between that individual and the Lord. So that's what we want to make sure that we're aware of as well, too. And one more thing very briefly about the end of this passage in Luke chapter uh, chapter 13. Uh, about how the Pharisees were warning him about going uh, and getting out because Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus replied, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Tell that fox, <laughs> Herod Antipas, who he already knows the character of the one he's speaking of. He's going to keep on doing his work for the Lord, casting out demons, healing people. And on the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. The third day being what? The third day he's referring to when he rises um, from the dead, when he indeed is resurrected. So he's accomplishing his purpose once that resurrection is complete because he has conquered death. And that's what we need to recognize and see here, too. And, of course, Jesus is lamenting about how there are people who just um, would choose to not deny choose to deny who he is and he's lamenting over that but what he's coming back and saying at the very end blessings on the one who comes in the name of the lord they're not going to even though they're abandoning him now they're going to one day eventually have to say the very words every knee shall bow every tongue confesses that jesus christ is lord there's going to be a confession that takes place for all those who reject him as well too whether they know him or not they're going to recognize jesus as lord they're going to bow and confess that he is Lord. That's coming in the future. That is something that um, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not a problem. You're looking forward to that day. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, that's a day that you'll rue and regret. If you have to come into a place where you don't know him personally, but you acknowledge who he is, what a great um, disaster that will be for those people who are in that position. Let's go to Psalm 79. Psalm 79, and we are on the home stretch because we're now going to Psalms and Proverbs, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 13. And, of course, in the Psalms, we have different uh, topics of discussion that take place. In this particular section of the Psalms, um, there is a great tribulation of the nation of Israel that's taking place, and it's going to be coming uh, coming into effect, we we know that from what Scripture says, and in this particular Psalm of Asaph, um, this passage in verses nine through thirteen. Let's read that, uh, verse nine, Psalm seventy-nine, verse nine. Help us, O God of our salvation. Help us for the glory of your name. Save us and forgive our sins for the honor of your name. Why should pagan nations be allowed to scoff, asking, "Where is their God?" Show us your vengeance against the nations. For they have spilled the blood of your servants. Listen to the moaning of the prisoners. Demonstrate your great power by saving those condemned to die. O Lord, pay back our neighbors seven times for the scorn they have hurled at you. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will thank you forever and ever, praising your greatness from generation to generation. Now understand 
what we're who we're writing about here we're writing about those people of, of israel who frankly they are under great duress and tribulation because they've been disobedient to the lord they haven't been following god and so the psalmist here is writing about how the nations because uh, and they know that the people who are attacking them, they are quite aware of their relationship with God and where they are. And so that's why they scoff, because they recognize that these people aren't so, so tough or so great. Their God is not helping them. And that's because they've been disobedient. They haven't been obedient to the Lord's will. And hence, that's why they're experiencing tribulation. Um, and it's going to be a terrible time of trouble. And so there's going to be a great moaning and wailing listen to the moaning of the prisoners but demonstrate your great power by saving those condemned to die all that god asks uh, of his people the people nation of israel is that they would just turn from their ways and recognize who god is he is going to uh, give them what they need give them relief give them peace uh, that's all they have to do but um, when we talk about israel being a stiff-necked people that's what they were, and that's what they will continue to be all throughout the history as we read about Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, the Pharisees, that is their character, and that's what we have and that we're dealing with today. But the psalmist does make a point at the end of the passage, then your, we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will thank you forever and ever, praising your greatness from generation to generation. Sometimes it takes the extreme acts of those who are oppressing us for us to recognize that we really have a good thing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you don't have to go through all of that to recognize that, but at the end of the day, for some of us, our hearts are, our hearts are very hard, and sometimes we need to go through some stuff to have our hearts softened. And I hope that you're not like that, but I know that there are a lot of people that are like that, and but that's God knows it too. That's why He puts them through what He puts them through, to make sure that they recognize that. One more passage: Proverbs nineteen, verses eighteen and nineteen. Proverbs nineteen, verses eighteen and nineteen. It says in verse eighteen of Proverbs nineteen: Discipline your children while there is hope; otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. So two different subjects in these two verses. And again, the, this is how the Proverbs are. They will uh, kind of dance and give you different topics within the reading that you're doing. But they're all truths. Um, discipline your children while there is hope. In other words, if we've, we've learned from our own lives that the time to discipline a child is right when there is usually an infraction that takes place. And making sure that you are teaching them something as you discipline them. But not failing to discipline them at all or uh, not using the right timing to do so does not do anything to help um, make whatever they did a teachable moment. And it can be a ruination of those, those children. Failure to discipline your children in the proper manner or not doing so in the right manner, it can be costly for the child. And, of course, you know, when we're talking about children, um, the children that we raise are a reflection of us, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, and, and we don't want to necessarily do that, but the reality is is that if they come from your household and they are not acting the way they should be, uh, there's something to be said for that. That individual is responsible for their own behavior, but 
most people should have an accountability if they've been around you for any length of time and they know who you are as a parent. They'll say, you know what, you did the best you could. You did your job. You did what you were supposed to do. So we recognize that it is our responsibility, though, to make sure that we're providing the proper discipline for our kids. And, of course, verse 19, hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. Amen. Do I really need to say more than that? People who lose their temper, people who are off um, off kilter, who are not behaving in the right manner, um, they really do a lot of damage to themselves. And, and they sometimes do damage to their own family members if they are still associated with the family. Um, it's very important that hot-tempered, we recognize that being hot-tempered is the exact opposite of a person who should have mercy, grace, and humility in life. And when you spout off, when you do those things, you're not being humble, you're not being sincere, you're not being honest. We need to recognize that that's because you're just being fleshly. You just much would much rather get your own way. You'd rather have a temper tantrum, whatever it is. Um, so avoid people like that. I'll be honest with you. Just avoid that. And don't you live in that manner as well, too. And that's going to conclude our reading for today, for Wednesday, July the 19th, in our 15-minute devotional. We appreciate you being here again with us. Stay with us every week when we do Wednesdays in the Word. We'll either be doing a Bible study or these 15-minute devotionals. Well, God bless you. Take care of yourselves. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time.